podcasting played nobody. I just we need to warn you up front. It's gonna be salty. <laughs> it's gonna be salty. It's gonna be very salty. We had to mutually assure each other that things were okay before we came on the show. Um, Bill, how many people do you think listening know what a what an SID is? <laughs> um, well, if they listen to this show, I would assume a decent percentage because we have okay. brought them up before. Sports information director. Also known as an AD for communications, you often will have people, the, the douchier uh, SIDs will correct you and say, I'm actually an AD for comms, uh, which is just a made-up title. You're a sports information director. So, Well, it's usually associated with more money. If you're good at it, you'll get that. Man, a, if you're good at it, you also uh, have a horn growing out of your head and are a horse because you're a unicorn because that shit doesn't exist. I know like seven good SIDs. Um, I would say 10. I could, I could probably name 10. Uh, it is a trash job for people who are just paid to have have like low level anxiety, not productive, <laughs> uh, creatively inspiring anxiety that you know makes art or changes the way we look at science. Just annoying people. Um, <laughs> before we even get into the show, I just I have to vent a little bit in a forum in which a couple SIDs will probably hear this, but they're probably friends of mine, so I don't care. And if you know, you know. But if it is such a dumb job to have in 2019. So these people essentially are the gatekeepers to anything that you need to get done with a coach or a player. Um, and for years, this is what they do is they, they create this, they basically create a culture of no and a culture of fear and a culture of worrying about every unique idea that you might have, or even basic need that you, you know, you have to get a story done. Right. So sometimes it's not even creative, creative endeavors that block you. It's just the fact that they worry all the damn time. Yes. They worry all the time because college sports is a trash heap in terms of morals and, um, you know, it's built on the back of unpaid labor and there's a lot of people who are asking a lot of uncomfortable questions and they want their college football players to be robots and automatons and not have a unique opinion on anything. I always love the Combine, which is about to happen because the Combine, Bill, will have a ton of uh, famous college players who are about to be drafted say unique and interesting things about themselves for the first damn time because they have been freed from the shackles of your Oklahomas and Alabamas and places like that. So um, what sucks for me is that every time I call a place that doesn't already know me and now either I have a relationship with or just very formally says no, what up, Alabama? Uh, I, I have to do this, like, or, you know, when you, if you, if you're a sex offender and you move into a new neighborhood, you have to knock on the door, right? We've seen this scene in movies and Man, television this, many times, this is right? an interesting place. Yeah. So every time I approach these people, inevitably what happens is at some point, and it may be later on in the relationship, it may be within the first five minutes, I'm the Batman guy. I'm the NCAA guy. And because most of these people are stooge bitches for the NCAA <clears throat> in some way, shape, or form, I then have to give what amounts to be this like sex offender speech of like, hi, my name's Steven Godfrey. Yes, I did write the Batman piece. Yes, I do investigate the NCAA. No, I do not agree with the NCAA's practices at all. I do think they are a corrupt organization. <sighs> However, I would just like to talk to your head coach about his running back, right? I have to do this damn spiel every time I get on the phone with a new sports information director, and they're always just tight asses. It's it's so dumb and counterproductive because nine times out of ten, when you and I produce content, even me, we're just trying to do something to to like find a little joy <laughs> in this whole culture of unpaid labor, billion dollar television contracts, CTE, straight on the train to hell, right? And yet. I have to pull the joy 
out of them forcefully as if with a pair of homemade pliers I am removing a bicuspid, okay? So this is how we're starting the show. It's going to be fantastic yeah. from here on out because I had to calm you down before we went on. This is a podcast ain't play nobody. It's college football marriage numbers words. Oh, that's a robot, Bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system, which uh, don't try and come after it because it's never wrong. I'm looking at you, Texas. We'll get there in a second. He's the author of multiple books upon the S&P Plus system. Well, one's just really about good yeah, football. It, yeah, you, no, no, no. There's very little S&P in the books themselves. I'm riffing off the riff. The first one introduces the S&P Plus system. Well, it it introduces the the idea of, of stats. It doesn't go into, like, the, I, I should probably write a book that goes into more detail about S&P. Yes, I've been telling you to do I that. Not yet. Anyways, uh, if you like smart football, uh, college things, uh, buy Bill's books. You can find them at the Amazon.com, any brick-and-mortar store. And if not, just – you know what I have found? I've run into some people who work at real bookstores, and they, they always say, look, encourage people to come to our stores, and if they really want to give us their money, we can order that stuff, and then right. we'll sell it to you usually at a discount. Sure. So and we, we, we make very glib about, hey, there's no more bookstores in America. There are a few. They're fighting. Uh, most of them are good, except Square Books in Oxford. That guy sucks. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey. Uh, I hate everything about your team specifically. Um, speaking of which, last week I admitted that I could not find my own damn predictions. The time capsule was buried in the wrong cornfield, okay? Um, what, unfortunately, I did was incentivize people to find it, and yeah. now I have, like, three people I owe questions to, Okay. Um, I'm, we're trying to figure out who got to me at once and when and all that stuff. So you got, I think there's like three folks that immediately like, boom, 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 boom. As soon as we posted the show, went and found the stuff. And apparently it was also sitting on Reddit the entire time. And I'm an yeah. idiot. So, um, the guy who runs our Reddit, who I guess I accidentally doxed one time cause he didn't want his real name out there, but we love him to death. You know who you are. Um, he had it up originally. He pinged me, so he'll get a special question. And then okay, I think like two other of y'all jumped on it real fast. <laughs> and so you guys can submit your questions for next week's show. Um, and we'll answer them, whatever they are. Uh, you know, even if it's sexual in nature, I'll do tasteful nudes. It's all about lighting. Um, a bunch of people, when this resurfaced, I think misunderstood the point of this, Bill. Um, there's a couple things here. Maybe I should have not just said Godfrey's predictions. I should have said, hey, I'm trying to be stupid here, right? Um, I did not in my predictions make uh, such easy win you know, uh, layups as I predict Alabama will be in the playoff or I predict a Big 12 quarterback will go to the Heisman ceremony, right? I could have just done that shit and gone 10 out of 10. I think it's very possible, right? I think right now, if you and I had to make 10 predictions about the 2019 season and we wanted to go as chalky as possible, as easy as possible, we could do that, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we would have included – there are things – you're never going to get 10 out of 10. But, yeah, you have the point stands. I damn near think we could go 9 out of 10 right now if we had to, if we had to go super chalky layup on stuff, right? Like, <clears throat> I purposefully – the point of this exercise was that, one – Bill gets castigated all the time for people about his numbers and predictions, and he's sort of put in that scenario. That's kind of the work he does. Also, we have this, like, takey culture on the TV where people are constantly making these big declarations that are usually full of shit, but it's how those TV shows work, right? You got to have, like, LeBron, right? That's just like, I don't know, it's like four hours of ESPN every day. Is someone just screaming the word LeBron with incredulity in their voice, and I don't understand that, but it's very popular for some people. Um by the way, like, 
you know, being a like a worky friend of of people like Bomani Jones, that that's harder than it looks. I don't watch those shows; they have no appeal to me whatsoever. But doing that day in and day out is, to me, is miserable. I could not do that. I don't know about you, but I could not get on there. First off, to have the knowledge of the entirety of sports or just right. the sports the ESPN deems to be popular, and then to have some sort of novel take, I don't think I'd last two days. Right. I mean, I do a few radio hits a week, um, and I end up like having to BS my way through a couple of questions, even though they're mostly about college football or, you know, since I'm the world's um, most popular NFL writer, uh, sometimes they're about NFL too. Um, Suck I still it, end up- Barnwell, comma, <laughs> Bill. I, um, b- but in that process, I still end up having to kind of, you know, I, it's, it's an educated enough response, but I still kind of know I'm BSing and I'm wondering if somebody will, you know, figure it out. Uh, and that's only about football, and it's only like you know, fifteen minutes a day at most. So I can't imagine like the just the stress involved of like when are they going to realize I'm full of crap would just be so overwhelming to me that I, I oof, it would be tough. Once you lay that down, that anxiety about being found out, it it's a lot funner for sure. <laughs> well, and I, and yeah, I, don't I would care just... in these small little samples, but if I was having to do it for a couple hours every day. Oof. I just I imagine I would get there and have a nice suit on and 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 like maybe the first topic is about Alabama or a college football playoff or something and I'm I do okay. Uh excuse me, please. Oh, leave that in. And then inevitably there would be some non-news bullshit item that like they cough up out of the ESPN factory and it's like, "Well, how does this affect the Dallas Cowboys?" And I would just sit there with my like mug of coffee or whatever and be like, "Man, I don't give a shit." I don't know. I, this may not even be news. Wouldn't it be funny in those segments if they were just like, hey, uh, this isn't news. We should move on. Probably wouldn't have a TV show, though, right? Well, Season again. You try not to limit yourself, yes. Um, anyway, I made bold predictions, purposefully dumb predictions. Um, so we're going to go through those right now. By the way, some of these were right. So, Yeah, you're trying to – you're just – it's not that they're purposefully dumb. It's they're the wild things that you're trying to nail three out of ten on. And guess what? And get ready to count my score. You ready? Uh, I made these predictions. Thank you to our Reddit. Uh, on August the 28th of 2018, year of our Lord. You ready? Let's go. Number one, Bill. Either Urban Meyer and or... That uh, should have just been Urban Meyer and or not either. Uh, Gene Smith will retire before February's National Signing Day. Point. One just for stop, one, baby. Just stop there. You get you already you nailed it. Now I I want I want full credit as I wallow in my own poop about how how clairvoyant I was because I remember making this prediction or at least I think I was like talking to you about it at work. This was after the butt hurt letter that came out from Meyer. <laughs> I just remember I was at, I had to take my kids to the YMCA pool that day when I and I just distinctly remember looking at my phone and reading that uh, the letter that Meyer puts out and I'm like oh he's going straight for the AD like it was obvious that yeah. it was going to be his camp versus Ohio State and depending on how the year went one of those two parties was going to win and slash lose so um, I was right Urban Meyer retired I kind of thought it would be Gene Smith. Like, I, I, I kind of thought it was the end for Smith no matter what. No matter what Urban ended right? up doing. Yeah. Also, I did not think Ryan Day had a shot at that job. 
But I didn't predict that. I'm one for one. And it's funny uh, though because he he the biggest like the point on his resume that that made him the winner of that job was he did really you know he guided them to an undefeated record against like four pretty bad teams. Uh and that was that was that was what pushed him over the top. So Ryan? Yeah. Hey? Yeah. I mean, I guess we thought TCU was good. We thought TCU was good, but like two months later when the decision ma- was made, we realized, oh, actually, yeah. Yeah, they, weren't, they weren't all that hot. <laughs> you weren't impressive. Um, all right, I'm pulling up the schedule of the team and I'm because I, I just ate the curb on this one. Number two, Arkansas is going to win two of their last four games in November. They're going to break at least 30 points in those two wins. Uh, Bill, the Arkansas Razorbacks, <clears throat> um, they had a different season than that. Um, I believe they finished with two wins for the season. They went 0-8 in the SEC, and they ended the year on a four-game losing streak. They so did. I, I was incorrect. By, they, did, they played well against uh, LSU. So. Um, they uh, Their two wins came on October 20th against Tulsa and uh, the first week against Eastern Illinois, and they still surrendered 20 points in that game. Uh, their last four games, real fast, um, uh, da, 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 they lost to Vanderbilt 45-31, to so they broke 30 in that game. They lost to the Louisiana State Tigers 24-17. to they lost at Mississippi State, fifty-two to six, and they lost at Missouri, thirty-eight to nothing. I was wrong. They scored six points in their last two games, and they scored twenty-three points in their last three. I was totally wrong about that. Um, you know why I made that though? Like, didn't that feel good at the time? Oh, it felt good. Uh, turns out, though, uh, as we would later learn, you do need a quarterback, and. Hmm. Um, being that the two the two primary quarterbacks who played this year are now gone, and they have brought in a transfer from SMU where Chad Morris used to work, uh, it appears uh, it's safe to assume that Chad Morris didn't think he had a quarterback this year, and, and he was probably right about that. Number three, this one I should have never made because the Heisman Committee and the dumb journalists who vote on it are dumb. <laughs> Man! Okay? And if, you're, if you hold a Heisman vote, you're probably a dumbass. And so... Why did I think that the dumbasses would do something that they should? Also, I was wrong. Number three, Ed Oliver will go to New York for the Heisman and will not be the only defensive player there. <laughs> this is an example of like, hey, let's let's really lean into the bold. Um, I probably should have just said, hey, Ed Oliver will be invited to the Heisman ceremony in New York. One thing I didn't take into mind when I made this prediction. Um, one, Ed Oliver right now is actually, a, according to the draft people's, not a locked-in top-five pick. He was a locked-in top-three pick in August. Right. Apparently, people are saying he can now fall into the teens, which I hope, because that's where Atlanta drafts. Um, I think Ed Oliver would be awesome in Dan Quinn's defense. I think he'd be awesome in a lot of defenses. Um, there was no way a defensive player was going to go to New York without being on a, I would dare say, even just an SEC team that was undefeated. Flat out. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he had a shot if he dominates at an even higher level than he did, and he doesn't get hurt, and Houston, you know, wins the AAC just because he had the name. He had he was a name brand coming into the year. It wasn't like some random kid we hadn't heard of that we thought was going to have a breakout year. It was Ed Oliver, the the Ed Oliver of Ed Oliver of yeah. etc. So I mean, I I got it. It was it was a reach, uh, and then you just made sure to be extremely wrong by adding two defensive players to the mix. Uh, Extra which was, stupid. Which was which was uh, obviously doomed from the start. But uh, the Oliver thing at least made sense because he had all the hype that could get him there. 
Uh, number four, I would make this, this prediction was wrong as well. Number four was, I would make this prediction again and we'll make this prediction again when we do our bold 2019 <laughs> take-isms in August. Number four, UCF will not win the AAC nor their division. Uh, they did, and yep. they did. But uh, I would make this bet again. I would make this bet again because of the depth and the quality of the AAC. I would also make this bet again because running the streak is really hard. It's, yes. it's damn near impossible to translate it over, which is one of the reasons they were so ridiculous about talking about, oh, we're not we're not 10 and 0, we're not 12 and 0, we're not 13 and 0, we're 20 whatever and 0, right? Um, obviously, the streak is over, but. Uh, if you were to tell me that they're going to be an 11-win team next year, I, I don't see it. Oh, um, I mean, I I, I, th- I don't see why they couldn't be. Uh, I'm not going to predict it because I, you know, I, good predictions, you, you never want to go too far out there. But um, I, I think they absolutely have a shot. Why wouldn't they? They were uh, pretty young on defense this year. They've got like uh, – I, I like Mac a lot, and they brought in Wimbush for reasons I don't completely understand because I like mm-hmm. Mac a lot. But, I, I mean, they'll have a, a very good chance. They've got as good a depth as anybody in that conference. Uh, they're non-conference, by the way. It's the first four games of the season. Florida A&M at FAU, Stanford at Pitt. I, mean, I don't think they're undefeated after those four games. I, they're going to have a chance, though. I mean, especially, you know, especially considering as – Stanford's the, the, in Orlando. The law requires that, they, that one of those games get canceled. So, um, they really only have to win three of them. Yeah, I think they have a shot. Why not? Um, I just I think they're going to lose at least two games next year. Now they might win their division, maybe, but I just think the the quality and the way that the the AAC cycles at some, at some point you would figure they the odds catch up to them a little bit, and even if they remain really yes. good, they go nine and three. But you know, yes, I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that it's impossible to maintain a G a G five in that conference can't maintain like that. Right. I mean, hell, even Boise at their peak couldn't do it. They would lose, you know, you'd have your occasional Nevada loss. So, number five, Billiam, Arizona State will win more than Arizona. Tell me I was right. Uh, now, when you made that prediction, not that it matters, but when you made that prediction, were you saying that Arizona State was going to be good or that Arizona was going to be bad? I said that Arizona State would win more than Arizona is exactly what I said. Don't parse my shit. That's what I said. And I was right. Here's why I made that prediction. We got too stupid in the media about Herm Edwards. Also, no one in the media noticed that things were not right in Arizona. Right. I think that was a much bigger. I, I think a lot of people could have uh, would have predicted that Herm Edwards would go six and. Or wait, did, it, did they go six and six in the regular season or seven and five? Uh, seven and five. So yes. I mean, that that was decent. Um, but like, it's not like they went ten and two. So I don't think anybody was dramatically far off on Herm yet. And and I'm sure if you're an Arizona State fan, and you remember the things I was saying in December, you're like, well, you're just in denial, or you're holding on to that, and maybe. But also, uh, they were like 60th in S&P+, Plus, so it's not, they weren't dominant. Arizona, however, uh, came out of the gates with no idea what the hell it was doing. I felt very, very good about this bet um, immediately after the BYU game in <laughs> September. I was like, all right, we got this. We got this. All right, so that's two for me. Number, th- uh, number six, by National Signing Day, Ed Orgeron is still the head coach at LSU. And there are no head coaching changes in the Southeastern Conference. Really, I mean, when, anytime you add and to it, you're just begging to, and, uh, you know, and? to lose, to lose via, via technicality there. But, but 
But. But. <sighs> my cowbell is in the closet. I'd start ringing it. I was real right about this. And yeah, I mean, I didn't. If you go back and look at some of the comments on the Reddit, people thought I was really stupid about the Orgeron thing, and even dumber just by math on there being no head coaching changes in the SEC. And the closest we got, Bill, was Derek Mason being a yeah. candidate at Colorado. That was the closest we got. Which was silly for a, a, a number. And of my entire guess. prediction was also rooted on something I should have predicted to up my numbers, which was I thought Kentucky would have a plus season relative to what they had been doing. Now, they had a way better season than I right. thought, but I thought they would have enough of a bowl quality season to keep him around. That was my, that was the one I was thinking about. Because when you yeah, go Mason, down the list, Bill. Mason was, was the guy I was worried about. More Who? than Stoops, I think. Derek Mason was the guy I was worried about at the beginning of the season, um, not having a good enough year to 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 stay aboard. The uh, and the reason why I the reason why I wasn't worried about that was knowing what was going on with the AD situation at Vanderbilt and the athletic right. department as a whole. That was the one where I felt safe that unless it was unless they were over that like I, not not the conference play the season, which obviously they've now beaten Tennessee three years in a row. So credit where credits due. Um, <laughs> That I didn't think that they would. It takes a lot to make things move at Vanderbilt, okay. Right. And so, I mean, hell, now he could be there for the rest of his life. He keeps beating Tennessee. Um, so yeah, I was totally right. By the way, again, August twenty eighth, it was a bold take to say Ed Orgeron would still be the head coach at, at LSU. We forget because we move so fast through narrative and through conversation that Ed Orgeron was on the hot seat, and then he stomped. Miami and we were kind of off to the races and I and by the time Cole Tracy kicks that field goal against Auburn it's like oh no 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 we were totally wrong still can't beat Bama but damn they sure as hell did not go six and six or five and seven I don't feel like you're talking enough to say how right I am <laughs> is it making you nervous no um, I just I I want my due yeah, uh, number I, seven. I, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to remember what I thought. I tried not to remember what I thought. I don't think I, I was really in the Ed was going to get fired thing, but I, I was also not convinced that they were going to be amazing uh, because I wasn't convinced that the offense was going to be anything more than big, dumb man ball, and it really wasn't. <laughs> but uh, the defense was very, very good, and, um, you know, they, they, looked, they, they won games like LSU has tended to win games over the last decade, so there's something to that. As and actually, the, once I've as, adjusted, I haven't put yeah. out the adjusted S&P Plus rankings yet, but even though I got yelled at by a lot of LSU fans all year about S&P Plus, um, in the adjusted rankings uh, that, I'll, that I'll put out as soon as I freaking get a chance to breathe, they're fifth. They finished fifth. So um, 11th in his first year, fifth in his second. Um, I will say maybe 180 degrees off of the way I was bullish last year. I'm not bearish, but I am. They got to, they have to show an evolution on offense in that yes. Flat out. Y'all have been doing it by hook or by crook for two years now. And like, it's, it's gotta be more than smashy, smashy tight end. Okay. It's smashy, smashy. Please let us complete this exact specific third and seven when we really need to. 
Uh, yes. That really did. Like that, they ended up. They improved a lot as the year went on. But like those early games, like the Auburn game especially, um, that was that was. I I know maybe you rebel against the word lucky in this case, but that was that was totally tough. lucky. That was, was huge to replicate. Let's put it that. Hell way. yeah! Like, no, it was absolutely was to lucky. Replicate. But then they could yeah. just they evolved into a better team as those new pieces on offense at least got a little more familiar with each other. Uh, number seven, there's a coaching change in South Bend. <laughs> Duffed it. Uh, there was not a coaching change in South Bend. There almost was, which is why I wanted. Speci- I knew that I had made this prediction. I did not forget about this one, and I really was trying to hang on and hang on and hang on until the NFL carousel was done. Um, and then I found out that like the Packers were more interested in Pat Fitzgerald than they were Brian Kelly. So hmm, maybe there's something we don't know here. Um, yeah, Brian Kelly's still the coach of Notre Dame. Uh, they went undefeated till they had to play somebody good. Ain't that right, Paul? Um, no, nah, Notre Dame had a very good season. And then yep. Clemson beat him with a lead pipe. Uh, number eight, the Pac-12 makes the playoff. How up my own ass was I about Washington in August? Well, <laughs> they were good. They were a far good team. Up, far up my ass, apparently. They were a good team. They beat Auburn, and, well, they probably still don't get in because of the way everything else shook out, but, I mean, they beat yep. Auburn, which they were two points away from doing, and, you know, they're right there. How much did that game suck? Because uh, we watched it together. We were together see? on that week. It, it, that game sucked. Well, and I, I mean, I said they did lose twice in the in Pac-12 as well, So, but it was by five total points. Like, they were clearly the most definitively, consistently solid team the Pac-12 had to offer, and and – you know they lose. Oh man, and they lost to Auburn by five, not two. Good lord, I'm I'm all over the place here. But that's still that's three, four losses total, including the bowl. They lost those four games by fifteen points. They were a very good football team this year. So, number nine, Wisconsin wins the Big Ten but misses the playoff. Well, I was yeah, really I, going for it here. Yeah, now, do I, 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 now really, do I get a half point? I never completely wrapped my head around that one. But um, why would you get a half point for that? Because they did miss the playoff. Well, they did, yes, they did. They did, in fact, miss the playoff. I, I'm gonna I, not I, give myself a half point here because I know in my heart of hearts that uh, I would, that's not what I. That's uh, semantic. Yeah. Well, look, like yeah, you can predict 130 teams to miss the playoff, and you're gonna get <laughs> right. 90 no, whatever I, percent right. Yes, yeah, so I don't guess. So definitely a half point. Um, the the reason I said that at the time, I. Th- think was that we were talking about a possible uh actually i can tell you what it was because we had mitch on we're talking about athlon and we're talking about just everybody's predictions were like alabama one georgia four alabama one georgia three and who's going to be the short end and my my thinking was that wisconsin would win the big 10 having take having with maybe one or two losses and going into i oh okay i remember now shout out to all my scones I thought you would see like a ten and two Wisconsin win a bad West and then go in and right. upset the East winner. Right, that was the path. Was basically that, they're yes, good, okay. but they're not great, and then they pull yeah. an upset. Yeah, and then a two and then a two loss Wisconsin because remember Washington's in the playoff because I'm a moron. So you're talking about Alabama, Georgia, Washington, and then them being beat out by like a Clemson or or an Oklahoma or something like that was what I was getting at here, but I was wrong because they did not win the Big Ten. <laughs> right. Wisconsin's final record was eight wins, uh, seven, eight and five. Oh, Scotty, number ten, and, and a lot of that was close. Like obviously, you know the BYU game and 
the Northwestern game was weird and all those things, but they did in fact lose by 25 to Michigan and 12 to Penn State and 22 to Minnesota. I just think that that, that BYU game, uh, which I remember while I was watching, it was the same. I was in an airport. I was watching that on a television next to the Auburn LSU game we just talked about. So we're talking about like late September. It was like that BYU game where it's like I, they just BYU just Wisconsin the shit out of Wisconsin and like it's just like Scotty stood up and was like you you made me bleed my own blood like this is I hit people with hammers you don't hit me with hammers can I be hurt by my own hammer and then it was like they were just walking wounded for the rest of the year or you know actual football reasons yeah, uh, number too. ten I'm gonna get a half point here and I don't want to I don't want to hear your shit number ten. West Virginia is good, not conference title good, dot, dot, dot. Holgerson stays at West Virginia. Why did I add that part at the end? I think it was basically good enough that he doesn't get fired. Is that what you're going for there? Well, guess what? He didn't get fired. (laughs) He left. They were good, and they were not conference title good by the slimmest of margins against Oklahoma. So I was right. He didn't stay at West Virginia, and I didn't say fired. I didn't. I, I should have been more specific. I'm giving myself a half point here. Do you feel like that's fair? Quarter point? Do I hear a quarter point? No, asshole. Half. Here's why. The bigger point of, of number 10 was everyone kept saying, feast or famine, feast or famine. West Virginia wins the Big 12. Holgerson rides off into the sunset to some other job, which, by the way, even then, I was always like, what job? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, what job fits Dana that he's leaving West? I don't know. Oklahoma. I was like, what? Um, they were good, and they were not conference title good. And <clears throat> the reason why I support myself on this one is that I think that feeds into the, the, the West Virginia zeitgeist of, shit, man, this is the best we had it in so long. It still wasn't good enough to get over the hump, and now we got to just go back to the beginning. Which, with Neil Brown, they're going to have to reassemble everything. Their roster turns a lot over. Yeah. A lot. So what do you think? Half point there? Point four. No! Point is this. 350? I'm going to the All-Star game. I made ten dumb statements, several with dumb with dumb addendums, which just made it harder for me to win, and I hit 350. Okay. That is an all-star contract in Major League Baseball. West Virginia, by the way, is 105th in returning production at the moment. Jeez, I'm Pete. Uh, so those are my predictions. I will find out who I owe a question to. We will f- we will slot that into an, uh, an episode as we move into February. Um, Billiam, before we transition over to what you're taking a bunch of shit for right now, um, man, you just had a nerd-like triangulation this week. <clears throat> just just nerding about a nerd thing that happened to nerds. Um, would you like to tell everyone why you're so excited about Oklahoma State? <laughs> uh, this was a worlds collide moment that, uh, that, that only PAPN listeners can probably truly appreciate. <clears throat> so step one, uh, what, September, October 2017, I write a kind of what ended up <clears> – <throat> I'm so excited I lost my voice. Um, I write what ended up basically being a double feature on uh, Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State and his history and the Oklahoma State offense and basketball on grass and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere around October or November of 2017, uh, one of the running topics on this show is, you know, guys, the Ivy League's really fun, I swear. Watch it on Friday nights on NBC Sports or whatever. 
Um, so uh, Princeton was easily the most fun of, of the fun Ivy League offenses. I write a piece in the offseason about uh, interviewing all eight Ivy League head coaches, one of whom has retired. Um, and I, again, talk about how fun the Princeton offense is and how it really is extremely logical. And, you know, they have fun with two quarterbacks and three quarterbacks and all these things that uh, to keep opponents off guard. Um, and then proof that Mike Gundy reads SB Nation, uh, he goes out and hires Sean Gleason, Princeton offensive coordinator, when uh, Mike Yersich goes to Ohio State. So, um, yes, that was – I got – I hadn't seen it. I was kind of – I wasn't I, like, I, I was paying a lot of attention to Twitter, but I got like eight mentions of people going, oh, Princeton, Oklahoma State, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so, of course, I wrote about it on Monday, and it was uh, – it probably got more hits than my Super Bowl preview piece did. Nice. It just reminds me, I did an in-depth embed with uh, Jeff Collins now at Georgia Tech when he was the D.C. at Mississippi State against Oklahoma State and Mike Yersich's first game at Oklahoma State. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, and it was like a 21-3 to Oklahoma State gross. win. There was very little offense. Well, like I, State, just, State just couldn't do shit on offense, which was funny because Dak was the starting quarterback. Right. And and Mississippi State, every single thing they called out that week happened. It was the opposite of my Georgia Southern embed. Yeah. Um, and they they held on and they held on and they held on. I mean, honestly, if you limit Oklahoma State to twenty one points in a dome, like you're doing the Lord's work. Right. Um, and I mean, that that is kind of proof too. Like that, it, it did take Yurcich a little while to to get his uh, sea legs, so to speak. Um, and and so it, you know maybe we see this same kind of situation with Gleason too. Um, and, and I mean, I know Oklahoma State fans, uh, I did an Oklahoma State podcast uh, earlier in the week, and, and it really was, you could tell the assumption was that like, yeah, like Holgerson, that was a dynamite hire, obviously. And and Munkin, obviously, great hire, great hire. Uh, Yursich, less so. Yursich was fine. Uh, Yursich, last three years for Oklahoma State offense, seventh, fourth, and seventh in offensive S&P+. Now, they were 50th in 2014, which I maybe was his first year. I don't remember, 2013? Um but they uh, – so they, they fell into a funk, but the last three years they were awesome. Uh, and this year they went they, – they lost Mason Rudolph. They lost James Washington. They lost Marcel Aitman. They, they lost a ton of very important talent. They fell all the way from fourth to seventh. Um, so he was a dynamite hire. It just took him a little while. So, th- th- And I wrote about this, and you can read this piece on SB Nation, obviously. But um, the biggest thing that I-, I was trying to describe, like, what is so interesting about the Princeton offense. And, um, I mean, this generalizes it, and it makes it a very nerdy Ivy League thing. But it really is, like, the smartest version of the spread you'll see. And w- what I mean by that is, I mean, it's super physical. If you can't stop them from running the ball, they're just going to keep running the ball and trying to push you over. Um, but they do all the basic stretched plays and sp- all the spread things, the the horizontal passing and all these things that you're used to seeing, but they know what you assume. They know what your assumptions are about the spread, and they, they come up with every possible counter to that. Stretch play, roll into the right, throw back to the left. Um, you know, all these all these things that open up space where, where and, and flat foot you and whatnot, and I'm really excited to see what that – what he can do or how he can try to get keep Oklahoma State uh, standing out in in the Big 12. I think it was a really it was definitely an inspired hire. It, anything can fail, uh, and you know this could too, I guess. But it was a really uh, it was a hire that well that Mike Gundy would make, I guess you could say. I think it it speaks to the situation Gundy's in, positive and negative, where you're in this sort of glass ceiling situation. You're not Texas or Oklahoma. You've done everything else that you can do though at that program, so. 
you're not going to overtake them by doing traditional things traditional ways. So why not roll the dice? Yeah, 2013. I mean, he's got some equity too. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and we can talk about their offense all they want. Their their ceiling next year is going to be determined by their defense because they lose. They're, yeah, they, they bring back their basically their entire secondary, which is good. It was a it's it was a nice physical unit. Um, you know, targeted a few more of the Missouri receivers than I would prefer, but um, it's got it, that should be a pretty good unit next year. But they're like almost their entire front seven gets gets cycled to through, and uh, that's obviously going to determine a lot about what how well they do next year. Okay. Um. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, Graham Harrell, before we move on. Yeah. Um, apparently, I called this. I don't remember. Did we talk about this last week? Uh, one because of, a bunch of PAPNers were like retweeting. They're like, Godfrey called it. And I was like, yeah, yeah I did. Well, a friend of mine, um, our, our friend Saman, a listener of the show, he one of, I, I, at some point, I think I referenced that he was mentioning Harrell's name was floating around. Um, that's all I remember, though. We'll we'll give you credit. That's fine. We heard. Well, I mean, I, look, I, I I heard Graham Harrell as soon as Kingsbury took the Cardinals' job uh, uh, in a collection of other individuals, right? Like um, just the kind of who else could they hire that's like Kingsbury kind of list. Yeah. Well, and, and sort of the reason being, when I was asking people about this in San Antonio at the convention, was you've recruited to a thing, you've right. made promises about a thing, you've set a thing in pat, and you've you've set this along. Now it's early, yes. You haven't even gone to spring ball yet. You haven't, in, I mean, you haven't installed it, but I want to know what took so damn long. But anyway, uh, you know, that's a good question, but I would, I probably, my answer, my quick answer would just be USC yeah. to that. Cause I mean, they um, lost a five-star kid potentially in part because of that. And, and so I don't know if it was that, or if I don't, I, I think maybe Texas just kept recruiting after the whistle. Yeah. Honestly. And that's fine too. That's, that's certainly, <laughs> certainly potential. The, these things happen. Uh, I, Graham Harrell, I think, is as I'm not going to say poor man's Cliff Kingsbury because, as Jason Kirk pointed out in a post the other day, like it's basically the same thing. Yeah. Uh, what you're getting is the same methodology, what you wanted to change, what you're trying to get USC fans excited about, what you're trying to get your personnel excited about. Um, install will be the same. Terminology is going to be roughly the same. Um, it makes sense. And so when I heard Harold's name, I think in my head, probably what I was saying, sometimes I'm not thinking on this podcast, oftentimes, um, that I felt like it was going to be Harold just because, again, you've set a, you've set a course, uh, an event of we're transitioning to offense X. When you have an unexpected thing happen, like uh, Cliff being taken into the NFL, uh, just it's, it's best to stick on that path, mainly because, too, what else were you going to do? Were you going to go back to something right. that's more traditionally USC and in, in like a pro power kind of thing? Because that is going to be a problem for a lot of people right now in and around and supporting the program. I mean, they're it, look, man. I know, like I know, Kingsbury got hired by the Cardinals, whatever. It's still weird that they did that at all. Like this yeah. is USC. It's still going to be weird when USC comes out looking like you know Texas Tech. It's going to be strange, and they. That's that's what's going to happen here. Also, this is going to get Graham Harrell a head coaching job within two years. There's oh, a yeah. prediction. I mean, it makes a ton of sense for all parties involved. Um, the late the late two thousands Big Twelve nerd in me is very excited about this. Can't wait for Chase Daniel to finally retire and get into coaching himself. Wait, I mean, where's B.J. Simmons at? I mean, I don't know. Well, somewhere. Hold on. Um, he is. Oh, come all- on. All 2000s-era Mike Leach quarterbacks have to have a job at this point. He is, his Wikipedia page just says he played professional football. doesn't say what he's been he doing He's a backup since. somewhere. 
He was released from the Arena Football League Tampa Bay Storm when his contract uh, – he was released from his contract when the team went bankrupt in 09, and that was the last anybody has heard of him apparently. So he's not coaching. Uh, if, if he is, Wikipedia has not caught up to him. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think it, it makes sense AVP for USC. Treasury Services, J.P. Morgan and Chase, B.J. Simmons. Oh, Acor- word? According okay. to LinkedIn. So he did the smarter thing. He's just trying to go make that dollar. So this is what we should have done. Um, Billiam. Yep. Okay. I'm going to jump in when I need to. Mm-hmm. All right. I want you to listen to me. But I want you to explain what you did this week with your numbers and why everyone is mad at you. Not everyone is mad at me. Texas fans are mad at me. Okay. Which is why nothing, are te- which is why are Texas? Here. Why are Texas fans mad at you? All right. So every year, the process for putting out the S&P Plus projections. Like, we, we, we have dates. Oh, 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 by the way, the votes are in, and I'm doing two-a-days for the start of the preview series. We're going to release the S&P Plus projections next Friday, and then the previews start up the following Monday, and we're going to do two-a-day for the first week to catch up for the fact that I'm not putting them out next week before the pro- projections are finalized. This is all just because you've been writing too much NFL. Sure, but I also have already finished one preview, so I'm 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 good. I'll, I'll I'm not behind. I swear to God, I'm not behind. Um, yeah, I swear to God, I make all my deadlines I'm, too. You know, I'm behind on <laughs> like I'm behind on other stuff and you know life stuff and whatever. But you know that. Um, no, so uh, the process is for putting out the the, the S and P Plus projections. It's basically four steps. Number one, I put out returning production numbers based on. Stuff we'll get into in a second. Number two, I'll put out recent history numbers to kind of remind people that it last year is not the only year that really matters or can really tell you what you need to know about program health. Uh, then after the signing day on Wednesday, on Thursday, then I will put out uh, the recruiting numbers that I'll be using for the projections. Uh, and then Friday, I'll put out the projections themselves, the full-on rankings. Um, so the first step is returning production. The general premise behind that is – Returning starters tells you something, but doesn't necessarily tell you enough. It doesn't tell us everything we think it we, we want it to tell us about returning experience and all those other things. So what I did uh, a few starting a few years ago, I, th- I guess I've been doing this for like five years now, or I have five years worth of returning production data. Um, the goal is simply like I, I, I try to adjust the rosters as best as possible. And as transfers become a, a, a bigger thing, it becomes harder to get them all. And so I guarantee I haven't caught every transfer or anything like that. And the transfer portal itself makes things weird because you'll, you, your name shows up in there. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to transfer. Uh, so that makes it tricky too. But, um, but the, the, the idea here was I, I just started looking at like what, um, you know, the percentage of passing yards and attempts and completions and rushing attempts and yards and receiving targets and yards and catches and offensive line starts and everything I could pull into a document and then just started looking at the correlations between that and actual year-to-year change in S&P+. Um, what I found, the most interesting thing that I found was that like the correlations between uh, running back production lost and your up and your your year to year change not very strong. Offensive line starts not very strong. Although a lot of that just could just be because it's hard starts don't really don't tell us much, but that's all we have to evaluate offensive linemen. Um, defensive line stats. 
don't correlate very closely or defensive line returning production doesn't correlate very closely to uh, you going up and down each year. Linebacker stats don't really uh, correlate all that strongly. Although now that I have more data, they that and offensive line correlate a little more strong than they did at first. Um, Defensive back stats, especially passes defense of all things, defensive back stats, receiver stats, quarterback stats, those things carry – the, the correlations for those things are double the correlations of anything else. Um, and so I came up with – I basically started tinkering with a formula that most accurate can most accurately align itself with the, your year-to-year change. Um, and basically like quarterback – you know, the quarterback passing yards and all that stuff, the receiving stats, the defensive back stats end up carrying a lot more weight than anything else does. And I come up with a returning production figure based on those things. So this is – this will tie into S&P Plus projections, but this step specifically – doesn't have all that much to do with S&P Plus. This is just basically a, um, a percentage returning. And then from there, I'll create a you know, projected change and all that stuff. But this is purely just percent returning yes, no, based on all the data I could pull together regarding transfers and graduation and uh, NFL declarations and everything else. Did you figure out how you were going to destroy Texas before you did this? Or did you just notice that you could do it as you were doing it? <laughs> I almost didn't notice it at all, which is kind of funny considering how much I obviously hate Texas. Um, so uh, I was going through and look, I, I put all the numbers together and I was looking through it and it was pretty easy to tell that like, oh, hey, Tennessee's number two. That's kind of interesting. Minnesota's number 10. That's kind of interesting. LSU's number 15. That's very interesting. Um, Utah returns a lot. Florida returns a lot. Um if I were to make, if I were to just use this as the only thing in my S&P Plus projections, take a projected change based on this, apply it to last year's numbers, then you start to notice that like LSU could be projected in the top five when all is said and done. Florida will be projected pretty close to the top five when all is said and done. No, none of the top five, 10 except maybe Mississippi State. Um, th- there aren't a lot of bad outliers among last year's top 10 teams in S&P Plus. Um, the adjusted version of S&P Plus, by the way. So Fresno State's no longer in the top 10. Sorry, guys. Um, so like, I thought that was all interesting. I noticed Utah uh, returns a lot and, and could be the favorite in the Pac-12 next year, which is interesting. And then I, at some point I realized, like, wait a second, where is Texas? Scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Uh, if this was the only factor, like taking last year's uh, S&P Plus rankings and applying a projected change based on produ- returning production, the reason I hadn't seen Texas, they hadn't caught my eye, is they were pro- they would be projected 50th if this is all that went into S&P Plus because they return less production than any other power conference team. The bottom 10 are Texas at 48%, and it should be noted 48% isn't like guaranteed, guaranteed doom level. That's like under 40% typically. But Texas is at 48%, Georgia Tech – is at 49. Washington is at 50. They lose, you know, their quarterback, their running back, and most of their defense. Ole Miss is at 51%. Kentucky is at 51%, which shouldn't surprise anybody. They had a senior-laden defense, uh, and Benny Snell, uh, who's also gone. Kansas, cruelly, is at 52%. Uh, Boston College is at 53%. That could be a dicey year for them. NC State is at 53%. Their offense gets a total reset. Stanford is at 54%. That could be interesting. I'm not real sure with the state of that program at the moment. Duke is at 54%. I think West Virginia is at 55%. But 
based purely on this and not based on any sort of projections, this, the fact remains Texas has the lowest returning production percentage of returning production of anybody in the P5, which makes their inevitable top 10 preseason ranking next year look even look even more, for lack of a better term, interesting. Um, it is possible that talent over comes yeah. in experience sure. and, and you're and, not saying that it can't. Right. No. And, and what the way I try to account for that is like basically the steps in this process, recent history, returning production and recruiting, the, the, the role that recruiting plays in those, in these projections. Um, it's basically, it's like a two year recruiting average, not a five year. I have, I, I tinkered with another way uh, on football study hall that I'll probably, once I have everybody's data, I'll probably try to play with a little bit more, but for now we're still going to use the two year recruiting average. And um, that the design there is that here's what you return from last year. And then here's the quality of recruit you have waiting to replace the guys you lost. That's the general premise. And obviously Texas is, is not going to be projected 50th because their recruiting averages are very good. And they're of these guys they're losing. They're going to be replacing with four star sophomores or whatever. But when you return 48% of your returning production, it is very, 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 very difficult to, uh, continue playing at the same level. Uh, last year, like the top 10 teams in returning production last year. Uh, where did I post that? Yes, yeah, so, so the top 10. Um, they all, I be- they, they improved by, I think, a combined 25 wins from one season to the next. Uh, now, most of that's because if you return all your production, you were crazy young and you probably went four and eight, so it's a lot easier to improve. But still, like on average, uh, it's not guaranteed improvement, but it's pretty close. Michigan State regressed by three games, and the other nine teams in the top ten of returning production improved by 28. Um, at the bottom of the list, the top ten, t- the bottom ten teams in returning production last year, LSU and FIU both figured out how to improve by one game, which was tricky. The other eight teams on that list regressed by, by 29 wins overall. Um, so it is very hard to overcome the experience that you are dealing with and the depth that you may be, may be dealing with when you lose that much of your production from one year to the next. I'm not trying to create an excuse here. I'm really not trying to do anything other than just point out things that we hear and things we try to understand. Um, the more I do this, where I talk to coaches and they're trying to push a narrative one way or the other on you, I will hear, we just don't have any experience coming back. It's going to be hard. And you usually hear that statement from uh, assistants or a head coach in a program that's done their thing with their people, evaluated their recruits, got them in, signed them year over year over year. So the system's in place. The factory is producing what you want it to. <laughs> Often, then, you also hear um, in transition moments or programs that are on the rise, faded glory type situations where a new coach comes in with a lot of energy and they want to talk about, we're going to get it back to the way it used to be. Sometimes when they are turning over a roster, they will, you'll say, Hey coach, you're losing 14 starters. And then they'll kind of say off the record or on background, well, the guys that are coming up behind them are to take their jobs anyway. Right. So the next man up is actually better. Sure. Or you, now you're seeing this narrative play out with transfers. Right. Like I'm not judging this one way or the other yet. Cause I don't know enough, but I have seen people at Penn State say, oh, well, these guys are transferring because the guys behind them are better. They're going to lose their jobs. Well, and that's what I was saying last week. Most of the guys they're losing are second stringers who were behind younger players. Uh, yes. So, yeah. 
By the way, Virginia Tech, 11th in returning production, despite all the transfer drama. That is weird. Okay, now I'm confused. <laughs> 77th on offense, where, you know, that gets hit. First in defense, which makes perfect sense because of how hilariously young they were this year. Um, yeah, so about Virginia Tech. Um, uh, they will be projected to improve even with the transfers. Chris Barnwell asks, I know you already talked a bit about tech, but when it comes, uh, when does it become time to push the panic button? Also, could Fuente be our WTF now August firing? Uh, um, no. Right. That would, that would, that would shock me. Not an August firing. Um, when would you pull, when would you push the panic button officially? I think if you don't have a quarterback in spring, um, that's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. I mean, right now their biggest problem is that, I mean, their quarterback is okay, but I mean, well, okay. They're, they're theoretically the best quarterback on the roster is gone. Supposedly. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see like that's, I, I, I I take those, if he was definitely the best quarterback on the team, like, well, I don't know. I, 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 any claims like that with a young trans kid who transfers, I try to take that with a grain of salt because we yeah. always glorify the people we haven't seen. Um, right. But no, like the, when we step back, here was Virginia Tech last year. Okay, so 2017, they their offense fell apart because they, you know, they suffered Gerard Evans' loss. They weren't ready for it. They fell to 71st in offensive S and P plus and ninth in defensive S and P plus. So overall, they were 21st. They won nine games. It wasn't quite the breakthrough we kind of expected, but they kind of held steady. Um, then they lost a, a ton of their defense. Then they kicked off a ton more of their defense. Um, they lost Josh Jackson to injury on offense, uh, and they still improved from 71st to 41st offensively. They didn't bounce back all the way to where they were the year before, but or in, in 2016, but they came close. Uh, so the offense is frustrating and problematic because it's not really, really good, but it was okay. It, it wasn't a terrible offense. The problem was because of the almost historic level of inexperience they fielded on defense last year, they fell from ninth to, to 77th defensively. But Foster, so, so going back to 05, here are their rankings defensively. 4, 1, 3, 9, 10, 31, 14, 8, 1, 11, 18, 21, 9. So 77 is a massive, spectacular outlier that we can yeah. pretty directly tie to how hilariously young their defense was. Maybe there are chemistry issues on that staff, and he's not going to be able to he, – maybe he's lost his fastball. Maybe him and Fuente not getting along, which I guess is what we've heard – well, what you've heard, right, um, or whatever that situation is. Maybe he's not an elite defensive coordinator anymore. Maybe he never recovers his fastball. But 2017, they were ninth in defensive S&P+. So – you know, take their 2017 defense and their 2018 offense, and you've got a top 20 team. They're not that far away. They they have not fallen apart. The transfers are bad headlines. Uh, their offense is going to struggle because they still don't know. Like they, with what they're losing offensively, it is going to be hard to improve further than they did last year. But I, I assuming this defense is a Bud Foster defense again next year, they're still a solid program, and I'm not I'm not close to the panic button yet unless they unless they regress. Let's put it that way. They shouldn't regress this year, and if they do, then we'll see. And if you talked about a Virginia Tech defense overcoming uh, an offensive shortcoming by being creative, special teams and defense, that's that's Beamer ball, right? right? And if they were to have a rebound year next season, doing those things, 
and winning, I don't know, eight games, I think you would be, you'd say, great, we're set up for the future. Everything's fine. Right. But this was the guy who was scoring, you know, 50 a clip at Memphis. This was not supposed to be the the way it was going to go at Virginia Tech. They were going to introduce a more aggressive uh, offense to a program that was defense and special teams. Hasn't happened. So I don't know when that panic button right. would be hit. Yeah, um, and they definitely – Ryan Willis is a, is an okay quarterback. He's fine. He's better than uh, – he's probably a better than average quarterback at the FBS level. Um, but Tech – I mean, Tech does well with with, with that kind of quarterback, historically. Right. right. That, that None of this is impossible for 2019 at all. Um, it's just also not what they thought they were heading towards at all when they hired this coach. So um, – you know, expectation level. I think winning, winning certainly cures everything. Um, oh, by the way, they're one of the. Um, they're slated for a conference game opening weekend, so you might know then because they have to yeah. go to BC because they're right. opening. Uh, for those of you who didn't know, they uh, ACC Network is opening this fall, and so they're gonna. There's gonna be a series of like quality ACC games and opening weekend with conference play. They're basically doing the same gimmick that the SEC network did a couple years ago where like Auburn and Arkansas played in week one and crud. There was another conference game and they were housed. It was like South Carolina and somebody. Um, They were housed specifically on the SEC network to drive people to call their cable operator to get the SEC network. They're going to do the same thing here. Um, I know Clemson and Georgia Tech play on Labor Day night and then this is another one. They're at BC. Let's see if I can poke around and find that week one schedule for because I know it's 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 pretty big. Uh, but you know, for whatever we think Boston College was last year, and I'm going to work on a story about Kentucky this spring and go up there. Um, maybe they fall into the Kentucky thing of like we expect you to regress just because. Um, if yeah, that's they, the case, they lose a lot of production. Boston College does. Yes. Yes. Um, Nevertheless, it's going to be a very interesting game and one that I think oh, yeah. you pretty much absolutely have to win if you're in the situation that Virginia Tech is in. So this is amazing. I misspoke, I by the way. That Georgia Tech-Clemson game is not Labor Day. It's the actual first game of the season. It's the Thursday night kickoff game oh, nice. on the ACC well, Network. Not Screw amazingly nice, but fine, yeah. I guess. Um, so here, by the way, I just looked up with my new adjusted S&P stuff. Um, Steve Adazio, six years at Boston College, they have ranked 58th or 55th. 58th, 57th, 73rd, 53rd, 63rd. Uh, the standard deviation there is tiny. They are a top 60 program, and no more and no less, I guess, is the, uh, is the lesson there. My God, they're going for it on week one. You ready for this? Okay. I didn't I, – now, I don't – some of this is TV, TVA, so some of this is going to fall in the ACC network and some of it isn't, but wow. Gear, okay, so uh, Thursday night, Georgia Tech Clemson. Mm-hmm. Friday night, Utah State at Wake. That's a good game, you know. Um, Friday night game, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, this is the Saturday slate for ACC teams: Boise State, Florida State, which I believe is a neutral site. Yeah. Is that Orlando? I think it's a, no, because Orlando is Florida and Miami. Oh, let's see. Duke and Alabama in Atlanta. East Carolina goes to NC State. Syracuse is at okay. Thank you. Yeah. Syracuse is at Liberty. Eh. <laughs> hey man, <laughs> the rev- the Reverend's got the a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Virginia at Pitt. Nice. And VTech at Boston College, and then Monday night, uh, ooh, this is gonna be a snuff film. Mm. Notre Dame goes to Louisville. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, wow, they really front loaded that schedule to debut yeah. that network. And if they, whenever they scheduled Notre Dame Louisville, if they did it twelve months ago, they were like, oh yeah, that's probably going to be a, a nice even matchup. Yeah, they just, um, I mean, you, you couldn't. Maybe yeah. you could see that coming, but bottom not from fell a TV out. Executive. Real, you don't ever see that level of collapse coming. Um, I will say right off the top of the, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, neutral site, Florida, Miami, neutral site, Duke, Alabama, neutral site, Boise, Florida state, neutral site. None of those games will likely end up on the ACC network. <laughs> yeah. It's just that they paired up uh, some conference games to go with it, which, you know, I don't know how you feel about it. I'm, I'm fine when people sprinkle those in. Yeah. I kind of, like, that is like, I, I like that schedule. I like kind of going for it at the start. I hate that four of those games are neutral sites, but I mean, that's a pretty, Oh, gener- well, I mean, that's a well, yeah, but PAP again, concern at this point, we've done this a thousand times. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and say it. I'm gonna tell you right now, Duke, Alabama, Florida, Miami. Um, Oh wait, I take that back. Florida, Miami. That's part of a series. I think, I think this is the first, it's a three game series. Man, I could be totally wrong about this and I'll hear about it. Cause everyone I work with is a Gator except you. Um, I think it's one game in Orlando, one game in Coral Gables, one or in Miami, and one game in Gainesville. I think that's the case. Okay. South Carolina, North Carolina, that was constructed specifically for Charlotte, and then Boise State and Florida State was constructed specifically for Jacksonville. Yeah. So you know how these things go, but um, that's solid. Yeah, that's a that's a, that helps Week One be better, and and Week One has actually sucked the last couple of years in my opinion <laughs> because it's been five neutral site awesome games. And a bunch of shit. And so. And then the neutral site games are crap half the time, too. Yeah. Well, we played the game on the show where it's like, like, we just got done talking about Washington and Auburn. Two of those neutral site games are always going to be terrible in hindsight. You're going to get hype for them, and it's Labor Day weekend, so you're starved for the content. But then you look back, it happens every year. Remember when Al- like Alabama just destroys USC, ends up being meaningless? Um, gosh, what's the one? Uh, it's usually the Chick fil A game and ends up being completely obsolete. Um, for, for whatever reason, they've kind of been snake bitten that way. I guess they don't care. They're making a ton of money. Um, Alabama and Duke. What? Uh, what? Yeah. yeah, that was never like I can Why? justify Notre Dame Louisville because of timing, but Alabama Duke was like three years ago they announced that game, and it was like what? Why? Why? Um. Ho. Oh! So I was just gonna do this to round out the neutral side schedule, but I found a fun one here. Um, the rest of your neutral side schedule, by the way. So Arlington, Texas is Auburn and Oregon, which is gonna be super duper fun. That's probably the most exciting game of Week One for all the for all of my evil reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Listed as a neutral site game, you ready for this? Mississippi State at UL, Louisiana, ULL. Oh yeah, Louisiana in the Lafayette, Superdome, right? In the Superdome. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I'll take it. By the way, yeah. Georgia Southern opens at LSU. Salty. And let's see, a lot of crap here. You guys are at Wyoming. Good for you. Week yeah. one. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, Missouri. Interesting choice, year. Bill. Missouri's schedule next year is um, maybe the worst logistically that I have ever seen from Missouri. Not 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 only that they're playing at Wyoming, which is you know you know a fraught potentially fraught experience anyway, but then they have like seven home games. It's something like five in a row after the trip to Wyoming and then to the rest of the year is a truly terrible schedule next year. Uh, just in terms of having to tailgate week after week, after week, after week, after week and set, do all that. And then almost nothing after mid October. Um, by the way, Georgia opens at Vandy. So I guess that maybe this is a new trend. <laughs> I like this new trend. I'm okay with this. It's better than Texas state at A&M or Toledo at Kentucky. Georgia State at Tennessee. Toledo at Kentucky. That's uh, that could be even matchup next year, but we'll see. You think? Kentucky loses a lot. 
Wow. And and Toledo's not Central Michigan. They're they're pretty good. Toledo also, now that I've looked it up, Toledo loses a lot. So we'll see. Uh, disregard for now. Was anyone so other than this whole Texas situation? Mm-hmm. Since we're narrative busting for the off season, and we got a lot of off season in front of us, give me three narrative busters for when I do my lazy talk radio spots, which doesn't include. I've got two. I've got like two radio shows I go on where I actually like to go on. Shout out to Shreveport. What up, Ben? Um, but when I get called for those last minute ones, where they're like, "Hey, man, can you come on with the Mad Dog and the and and Rick?" and I'm like, "Hey, watch out for this. Give me three that I can just pull out of my ass real fast." Uh, based purely on the returning production stuff. Uh, yes, I was gonna say Stanford, but there's no hot take involving Stanford ever. Uh, no. T- well, how, here's here's we'll see how well prepared you are to make a hot take. Tennessee is second in returning production next year. That means they will be projected to improve, especially when you take recruiting into account. They will be projected to improve by a considerable amount, probably heading into next year. Can you hmm. say that hmm. out loud? Can can you take a deep breath? That they're projected to improve? Absolutely. Right. Can you take it can you take a deep breath and say, you know what? I honestly, I think Tennessee could be ready for a pretty big breakthrough next year. I must want to trick other people into saying it around here. <laughs> Cause that bell will toll. Yeah. Um, Florida State, by the way, a thirteenth in returning production. That's a pretty good one. Like we obviously don't know if they're going to have an offensive line yet, and that, that until we know that, nothing else really matters with that team. But they will be very much more experienced than they were this past season. Look, I swore, I swore to myself we weren't going to schedule watch this early in the off season. I swore I wasn't going to do this, and damn, if this is this may be this week one is effing loaded. Because we didn't talk about Houston going to Oklahoma. Oh, that's right. There's some football on. I, I think they knew that it's kind of sucked lately. Could I sell you? Could I interest you in watching an Oklahoma State at Oregon State on Friday, August thirtieth? Right. I mean, I will watch it because it is Week One and it is Friday night. But I, right, you can't right, right. you can't really sell that one to me very easily. No, it's that's colors. A, that's the, a the tough colors, one to sell, eh? The colors of the uniforms are going to be gorgeous. Um, oh, by the way, you do get your Saturday game, and it's Arizona at Hawaii. Your, I mean, your sorry Saturday, your your week zero, your week zero yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping Colorado State continues their tradition, <laughs> exactly. and we get one extra one. Traditions don't have to make sense. Let's just keep doing them until it becomes a tradition. Yeah. As of right now, they are only scheduled for their normal week one game against Colorado. I am hoping we just get two. Like, what's Rice doing? <laughs> Rice, Rice <laughs> opens at Army. Who can we send um, back to Australia? I was about to say, why doesn't Sydney have a game? Why hasn't the Pac-12 done something stupid in the last five minutes? Um, yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech at Clemson is going to definitely be your, ooh, man, that's in Clemson. Georgia Tech's going to get murdered. Um, Colorado State and Toledo play on September 21st. Move that bad boy to week zero. We have a right. Hawaii We have a Hawaii game. We've got Colorado State, Toledo, and then we've got, like, two good FCS games. Sold. Done. Listen to the man. I'm just saying, um, yeah, I think we've hit on all the quality ones, but now I'm just going to go and look at week one, even though I swore I wasn't going to do this because it just gets everybody excited, and then you don't realize it's not even February. Um, as I scroll through, I'm just looking for games that we can go, oh, um, w- could I sell? All right, help me put some sizzle on this steak. I know we're a year late on this whole thing with Lane Kiffin, but Florida Atlantic at Ohio State. No? Murder? Wait, so say that again. Florida Atlantic, who? At Ohio State. Ohio State. I could, for some reason, I heard Iowa State there. I'm like, why? Why is that? 
Okay. Um, I, I, I'm going to go out of my way to, to not believe a single thing about FAU next year, good or bad, because okay. we've, we've been careening all over the road here. So I'm going to assume that Florida, that Ohio State will be just fine in that game, barring yeah. the scenario where Tate Martell oh, is left. Boring. And, and Justin Fields isn't eligible, and suddenly, well, wait, um, oh no, they'll have to go to their other blue chip quarterback, or maybe the other one after that. I don't know, but um, yeah, okay, no, I'm not. You I'm know, not going to sell fine. that game. I'm not even going to try to put sizzle on that game. That's fine. You don't want to have fun. I understand. Um, ooh, I found my anxiety bowl. You ready? Oh wait, it's not an anxiety bowl because it's two teams. This is my just straight up, straight ass up upset alert. Okay. USC opens with Fresno. They could lose that game. New offense? Fre- they could lose that game. It, it, the, if the theme of the show is returning production, I have to point out that Fresno State is 129th in returning production next year. Oh, they, you're they killing are, narratives. They are starting over. Um, but uh, there will be anxiety if Fresno State goes up 7 nothing uh, because there is going to be anxiety for everything with USC next year. So we'll have that at least. I'm, just kill- I'm stomping on all your dreams, I realize. Nerd Bowl, Northwestern Stanford. Ooh, Ole Miss. The alma mater has to go to Memphis. They're yeah. losing that game. Hell yeah, they are losing that game. <laughs> Shittiest stadium in in the FBS. Um, they are losing that game. Uh, by the way, Legion Field still exists. So careful what you say there. I would rather I would do Legion Field a hundred times versus the Liberty. Really? Hmm. At me. I've done uh ten games in the Liberty Bowl. So I'm not. This is not talking out of my ass. I've done. Two. Also, you have. Also, when you walk out of one place, you're in Birmingham. When you walk out of another, you're in Memphis. Yeah, but when you walk out of one uh, out of the out of Legion Field, you're in the like the uh, 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 not the Birmingham that is enjoyable, but kind of just an uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Have you ever cruddy. walked out of the Liberty Bowl? Yes, I have. <laughs> Okay. I, so I'm not. I, I'm just like you can't give points to Legion Field there. That's a that's a net zero gain right there for both teams for both states. No, there's more history there. Uh, yeah, you you like you're Mm-mm. stepping in that you're history. Not gonna happen, you, Bill. Like, you lean against a wall and you get crap on your shoulders at the at my. The, I had a fr- before I, I joined SB Nation full time. Before good. I before I joined SB Nation full time, I got paid to do a radio thing. At the Birmingham Bowl was Ole Miss and Pittsburgh. And it was also my sister-in-law's freshman year at Ole Miss. So my wife came down. This is before we had kids. My wife came down to and and my and was like, oh, you know, it's my sister's like first bowl trip, whatever. <laughs> and it's this is back when the Birmingham Bowl was like after every other bowl except the Natty. It was, yeah, it I was remember Pittsburgh's, it was on NFL Wild Card Sunday. It was Pittsburgh's first of 17 Birmingham Bowl trips. So it was pretty, I think it was their last, actually. I can't momentous. remember. Anyway, oh. I don't remember. Uh, but I went down there to do a radio gig because I knew a guy and he was paying me because I was still full-time freelance. So I go down there, and so my wife, trying to be a sweetheart, is, is tries to set up a tailgate, like a, just some sort of environment to hang out before the game at, at the Legion Field. And the traffic was so poorly managed that like half the people couldn't get in the stadium until the second quarter. They ran out of bottled water. They ran out of beer. They ran out of food. Uh, like all of it was like done by the first quarter. There was a zero internet in the entire facility. <laughs> okay. And my wife, because it was like my wife and her sister, but her friends from college were stuck because of a police error and like it, on ingress, egress traffic coming to the Legion field that like nobody got there until well after the game started. So there was no tailgate. 
ha- simultaneously, my wife, and this is a traditional tailgate, which if you go to Ole Miss, you're not used to. This is literally opening the tailgate of your car and then creating a little environment, which is what you do not do at Ole Miss. And I've been to Missouri. People do that. Um, so my wife looks over, and maybe 15, 20 feet from the car are three pit bulls tied to a fence across. The, <laughs> so there's a chain length fence across the deal, and there's three pit bulls tied up. And it's January. It's probably like 25 degrees. We have a pit bull, as I've mentioned many times before, who's asleep under under my feet right now. And so my wife, very sadly, just can't overcome this image, feeds all of the tailgate food to the three pit bulls that are tied up outside <laughs> Legion Field in January. Um, I'm unable to do the radio spot. I think I still get paid because there was literally there was no um, – I, I think it's called an ISDN line – None of that is working in the Legion Field press box at all, right? It's all it's all effed. All of that being said, I would still rather go back there than go to the Liberty Bowl. This this Memphis hatred. It's not Memphis hatred. It's facts, baby. By the way, I couldn't find another game to talk about. Wisconsin and South Florida. Uh, hey, where's South Florida on returning production? 38th. So better than la- – I think they were one of the bottom hmm. 10 last year. Hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah, they're another uh, team. And- I'm like, I'm not even going to try to talk myself into them. And I say that. And, you know, once AAC preview time comes around, I'll be like, well. But now I'm just like, you know what? I'm not even thinking about them. Okay. Well, now that we've already opened all of our week one presents, I want to ask you something. <laughs> How many points is Cincinnati going to be favored at home over UCLA? Uh, where's Cincinnati on this list? Cincinnati is 36th. UCLA is 34th. So basically <sighs> – Based on this, they'll kind of tr- trend up or down together. Um, give me Cincinnati. Give me six. My bet is that it'll be closer. Like from a line perspective, it would be closer to maybe three, maybe four. Just like an off season have been able to kind of talk yourself into a blank slate for Chip Kelly or something. Maybe that you know picks up speed, especially you know just because you know it's Chip Kelly and it's UCLA and all that. Um, I can say that based on, let's see, based on last year's S M P plus, they would have been favored by, let's see, they would be, fa- really? Now my Excel's freezing up. Uh, so they, they would have been favored by about eight and a half based okay. on this year's. So start there, uh, you know, apply some sort of UCLA adjustment period adjustment that will, will probably give them credit for whether they deserve it or not. Um, maybe that, yeah, maybe that means closer to five or six. Okay. I'm taking Cincinnati straight up. Uh, <laughs> we didn't do questions. Week one. We, didn't do, we didn't do questions this week. Nope. <laughs> hmm. Well, you know what? All you guys complain we do too many questions. This is what you get. Yeah, yesterday you uh, were like, I don't know. What do we have to talk about? These couple things and what else? Well, I knew you'd nerd out. Um, sorry, Texas fans. I didn't do it. I will talk later in the offseason about Tom Herman's ability to win close games and his kind of somewhat breaking my overachiever, underachiever scale. We'll get to all that in the future. Uh, I understand that Texas is a weird numbers defiant team. Sometimes two out of four years, Tom Herman has been at least the other two years. He's been basically exactly what the numbers said he would be. So we'll see. Uh, we're still kind of early in that tenure to figure out what, what's real, but uh, we'll talk about all that in the future. All I can say is that these numbers say Texas returns less returning production than anybody else in the P five. That's all it says. 
how pissed is Ed Orgeron that he has to get ready for Texas in week two by playing an option team in week one? Yeah. Very well, pissed I mean, is the answer. You know, all you got to prepare for with Texas is, you know, QB power left and right. So, you know, he'll, he'll have time. Uh, we'll answer your questions next week. And, uh, um, you know, the offseason provides. You ask fishes always, and loaves, bitches. We always, fishes talk, and loaves. we always talk about, oh, we're in the valley. We, we never have, like, we never reach the 30 minute mark of a podcast and be like, man, I don't know what to talk about. So let's just end it. We always figure it out. Fishes and loaves. <laughs>